Hey everyone, this is Chris Vaught, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Pursuit Podcast, where our passion is to inspire and equip you with biblical truths as you pursue after the heart of God. Our world offers us much, but one thing our world cannot provide is hope. Christ alone offers us hope, both for this life and for life eternally. This is episode four. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the Bible, and today's topic, Hope Lives. Let's turn together about this hope that we have as believers. And if today you're here and you're just kind of checking things out and maybe someone brought you or you know, encouraged you to come and you came and you don't know all about this Christian thing or Jesus thing, Hopefully today, by the time you leave, you'll understand what this message of Jesus is all about and how much he loves and adores you and the opportunities that are available for all of us who put our trust in Christ. So here's how I want to get started. I'm going to ask you a question, and when you hear this question, don't say it out loud. I want you to just write it out on your message notes there or draw the emblem out. Because today I want to talk to you a little bit about symbols and emblems that Christians have used for 2,000 years to describe our faith. So here's what I want to ask you. When you hear the, the term Christianity, what is the emblem or symbol that immediately pops into your mind? And it may be different, so don't say it out loud. Friday night, everybody kept saying it out loud, even when I told them not to. Right, because and then they influenced everybody else beside them. So, so you just you just think about it for a moment and write it out on your message notes or draw it. What is the emblem? What is the symbol that pops into your mind when you think about Christianity? If you got your message notes out there, I, I gave you some fill in the blanks, and the first one is there. And and I just wonder if this is the one that most of you thought about. And I want to see some hands raised or or hear you holler back at me. Okay, how many of you thought of a cross? All right, look at that. Most most of the people here today, right? So that's your first uh, fill in the blank there. Uh, what emblem comes to your mind for most in our culture? Now watch this. Most in our culture think of a cross when you think about Christianity. And the cross is a a mighty, powerful, wonderful emblem of our faith, amen? And we have to go to the cross, and you have to think of the cross, because without the cross of Jesus, we're all still in our sin, and there is no hope of our forgiveness because we cannot pay for our own sin debt. All of us need a Savior because all of us have sinned. You've either sinned willfully or you've just sinned because it's in your nature and it's just easy to sin. Does anybody here want to testify with me? It's easy to sin. In fact, in fact, just to make sure you're in the room with all the right people, I want you to look at two people right now. Don't say a word. Just raise one eyebrow at them. They'll know that they're in the right room because we're all in this together. Can I get a witness? We're all in this together, and we need a Savior. Now, here's the amazing thing about the cross. This is why the cross means so much to us. The cross is a symbol of our victory over sin. The cross is the symbol of victory over sin. And the reason the cross is so important to us is because we didn't go to the cross. Jesus did. 
Jesus paid for our sin debt. No other religion claims what Christianity claims, that God became one of us, and God took our sin upon himself, and God paid for our sin. In fact, when you think about Jesus Christ who went to a cross to pay for the sins of the world, you need to remind yourself that he was virgin born. If you've ever celebrated Christmas, you celebrated the virgin birth of Jesus. And the reason he was virgin born is totally tied to your salvation. You see, if you know human genetics, you know that the, the, child, his, the child's bloodline, is, the blood type of the child is determined from the father's side. And, and you've got to understand, why was he born of a virgin woman, but not an earthly father? His father was God, right? God conceived in Mary's womb, and Jesus was born. He took on human flesh through his mother's side so he could be like one of us. But when he was on the cross and the blood began to pour out of his body, that was not just any blood. That wasn't the tainted blood of the father's sin because he had no earthly father. The blood that came out of the Lord Jesus on that cross was the sovereign, holy blood of his heavenly father in the body of Christ. And when Jesus went to the cross, God's blood was poured out for your sin and mine. And because of the cross, we have victory over sin. If anybody's excited about that and thankful God paid for your sin, you ought to just give him like five seconds of a shout all over this house. Watching online, wherever you're at, driving, you ought to just go into a praise right now. Right? But now, listen, Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, Peter wrote to Christians who were suffering. And not only just suffering, but also questioning about their forgiveness and grace, because how many have ever questioned, did God really forgive me? And as a great reminder, I want you to look on your message notes at what Peter wrote to these early Christians. He wrote, and, and Peter was an eyewitness of the crucifixion and the resurrection, saw Jesus alive from the dead, and he wrote this letter later on, about 30 years later, Peter writes this letter, right? And uh, here's what he writes. He says, he himself, talk about Jesus, bore our sins. If you got a pen out, circle that. He, Jesus, bore our sins. Whose sins did Jesus bear? Ours. And where did he bear them? In his body on the cross. This is why the cross is a beautiful symbol for us as Christians. So that we might, underline this, die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus took our place on the cross so we would die to sin and live to righteousness. And I love this last line. Let's say it all out loud together. Ready, go. And by his wounds, we are healed. By the wounds of Jesus on the cross, we have victory over sin, but not just victory over sin. The, sin, the cross is also a symbol of surrender. It's a symbol of surrender. And I, and I need you to pay close attention to this for a moment and understand what I'm saying. The Christians, early Christians, did not use the cross as their symbol for about 400 years after the actual cross of Jesus. It was the 4th or 5th century before historical artifacts start showing up that Christians widely used the cross as the emblem of Christianity. And it didn't become the official emblem of Christianity until the 5th century. And here's the reason why. Because in the first few hundred years, Christians were under Roman persecution for their faith in Jesus, and they saw crosses all over the place. In fact, history tells us that on one certain day, the Romans came into the Middle East, 
and, and crucified 2,000 people in one day. All the people in the first couple hundred years had seen so many crucifixions. They had smelled the stench. They had heard the groans of dying men on those crosses. And it was not something they would have carved in wood and hung on a rope around their neck. And they wouldn't have put them on their walls. And they would not have put crosses on their buildings because the cross was a symbol of the pain and the suffering that Jesus went to. And they understood it wasn't something to be worn on the outside of the body. It was to be something worn over the heart because it was a call to die for Jesus if necessary. It was a call of total surrender. And in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, if you want to come and be one of my disciples, if you want to truly follow me, you must pick up your cross to follow me. And I think that's so important for us to understand this Easter Sunday, that not only did Jesus die to pay for your sin debt, but if you're a true follower of Jesus, you've got to pick up that cross and follow after him. That means you must be willing to suffer shame for Jesus, persecution for Jesus, to be embarrassed because of your faith. Even if it came to it, be willing to die for him because if he's not Lord over all of your life, he's not Lord over any of your life. And so the cross is a symbol of not only victory over sin, but it's also our symbol of surrender. But how was it these early Christians continued to encourage one another? Well, some interesting things came up in 1578. In 1578, on the outskirts of Rome, some, uh, some digging unearthed or rediscovered tunnels that had been hidden for more than 500 years. Some of these tunnels were anywhere from 24 to 65 feet under the Rome, roads of Rome, and these tunnels, actually, when they excavated them, they connected entire ancient communities together, and they could come back and forth uh, in hiding through these tunnels. These tunnels were designed around more than 40 underground cemeteries. Catacombs is what they became known as. The Roman catacombs were these where ancient Christians dug tunnels from community to community and they buried their dead. Thousands upon thousands of dead are buried in those catacombs. Many of them were Christians and they date all the way back to the first century, the days of Peter, the days of Paul and James and John and the Christians who suffered in, under great persecution at the hands of the Romans. And you can, go, you can actually tour some of these catacombs today. And when you do, you learn how Christians who were under great persecution, intense pressure, many of them were slaves and endured great hardship, how they continued passing on their faith. In fact, theirs was the days of Nero. How many ever heard of O Nero? who took Christians and impaled their bodies on posts and lined them along the roads of Rome and lit their bodies to be street lamps at night. If you've ever used a, a Roman candle during the 4th of July celebrations, that term comes from Nero impaling Christians and lining up his garden as he held parties for Rome's social elite. He would light his garden with the bodies of Christians. It's, these were the days of the Colosseum where Christians were forced to fight like gladiators, fed to wild animals, burned at the stake in the midst of cheering crowds of thousands. These early Christians who are buried in those catacombs, theirs was the days of suffering under Trajan and Aurelius 
and Domitian and Diocletian. These were the ones who suffered greatly for the name of Christ. And one of the great emperors even made the statement, every time I kill one Christian, two pops up in their place. It was as if the greater the persecution, the more the gospel of hope spread. How did that happen? Well, when they found these catacombs, they found that the Christians inspired one another by the use of symbols and emblems. Some of them weren't educated, so they couldn't read or write, but they could draw. So what were some of those emblems found in those catacombs? I want to show you some of them today. The one, of course, you've already wrote down was the cross. Now, the cross didn't show up in the catacombs until around the 4th and 5th century, but here's actually one of the crosses engraved in the catacombs. And that would have been after Constantine would have made uh, Christianity legal in the Roman Empire so they could wear crosses or talk about the cross openly at that point and not immediately be killed for it. And so they have the cross there up on those catacombs. Another one of the emblems they used was a peacock. I want to show you a peacock in one of the catacombs. Look at that. That is cool. The peacock was a symbol of eternal life. And so uh, when they used a peacock, they would remind one another that they had eternal life. They couldn't go out and just broadcast it always, but they could put an emblem and people would walk through the catacombs and they'd see the peacock and they'd be reminded, man, we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. They would use a ship. Here's one of the oldest actual pictures of one of the ancient ships on a, on a catacomb right here. And... Um, they would use the ship because they would talk about Noah and how when the children of, of Noah were put in the ark, God sealed up the ark. And when he passed judgment on the earth with the flood, they were safe inside the ark. Well, if you know anything about the Christian faith, our belief is, is that when we repent of our sin, Jesus forgives us. We're sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. And the Christians would remind each other, no matter what you're going through, if you're in Christ, you're in the good ship of grace. And you're going to get through the judgment uh, because of the grace of God. They would use palm branches. Now, this is pretty elaborate. Look at that artwork down in a tomb, in a cemetery. And uh, the palm branch was a symbol of victory. They would use grapes and vines and remind themselves of Jesus saying, I am the true vine, and you're my branches in John chapter 15. They would use the dove. The dove reminded them of how the Holy Spirit of God came down. Uh, upon Jesus on his baptism, and the dove speaks of the peace of God. And you see one of the drawings there in the catacombs. And uh, he's on an olive branch saying, the Holy Spirit of God gives us peace. How many know that Jesus used the term comforter a lot for the Holy Spirit? And the comforter will come to you. And the Holy Spirit of God is our comforter. Uh, Another elaborate drawing that's found in the catacombs was that of the Good Shepherd. Christians use this to remind one another they're under the care of Jesus. No matter your storm, no matter your struggle, no matter your trial, Christians encourage one another that the good shepherd is taking care of his sheep. There are three more that I want to show you, and you'll have to write these down on your message notes because they were used more predominantly than any of the others that I just showed you. And one of those that was used predominantly was the fish. And Christians used the fish to identify with one another of who they were, that they were followers of Jesus, but also that they had a life mission. This was taken from Jesus' words in Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus said, go and be fishers of men. He told his disciples to be fishers of men. Now watch this. This is why it's so important. Because if you've been to the cross, you've received victory over your sin. Now you've surrendered your life. They would look at the peacock and be reminded, one day I'm going to heaven. 
The fish reminded them that in between the cross and eternity, you've got a job to do, and you have got to go and be a fisher of men if you're a follower of Jesus. You're going to call people to come and know the Savior. In fact, what the word in Greek there, or the letters in Greek, is called the ichthus. And the ichthus stands for a statement. It's the beginning letter of, of a sentence, and the statement means Jesus Christ Son of God, Savior. And that's what those letters in Greek mean. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And so anytime early Christians were walking through the catacombs, when they look on the tombs, they look on the walls, they'd see these drawings. You see, they would paint them on walls called galleries, and every Christian tomb had a marker on it with the name of the dead, the date they died, and their name, their age, and emblems of their faith. And many of them would have this fish on it. And it was to tell the passerbys, don't forget, you're a fisher of men. You see, we think of cemeteries, we think of gloomy places, places of death. Those catacombs for those early Christians who were under great persecution and many of them knew they were going to die for their faith, those tombs became a place of inspiration where the message of our salvation and our hope was spread. They would use another one called the Cairo, C-H-I-R-H-O, the Cairo. And it's the first two letters of the name of Christ, capitalized. It's the X and the P superimposed upon each other. And Christians would use this because, listen, when you become a Christian, you cease to exist and Christ begins to be your identity. The Bible says that in Christ... We live, uh, and the old man is gone, and the new has come. If you are in Christ today, you could uh, use this symbol to tell other believers, hey, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. In fact, do you know what the definition of the word Christian is? Little Christ. And so when you claim to be a Christian, when you're following Christ, you take on the identity of Christ. You become Christ ambassadors. So they'd use the XP to mark, hey, here lies a Christ follower. And they would use this symbol. In fact, this is interesting. Constantine, when he uh, converted to Christianity, he forced his whole Roman army <laughs> to take on Christ. And he took their warrior shields and he imposed that emblem on their shields. The shields of Rome took on the Cairo. Now, the, Constantine might have meant well. I can't speak for him. But he was solely mistaken. His theology was really bad. Because Constantine thought he could force his army to be Christians. But you remember the cross that gives us victory over sin is also a symbol of surrender? Hey, folks, I need to tell you something. No one can force you to be a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a Christ follower, it's because you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. No one today is going to force you to become a Christian. But I'm going to tell you that if you'll surrender your heart to Christ, he will save you and you will become a Christ follower. I'm telling you today that Jesus Christ saves those who surrender life to him. You're not a Christian because you were baptized. You're not a Christian because you attend church. You're not a Christian because you was born into a Christian family. To be a follower of Jesus is you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ and let him forgive your sin, and you give him your life. He becomes the Lord over your life, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one other emblem that these Christians use, and it embodied everything that they believed in. This emblem was so important that it's used most predominantly on the graves of Christians between the first and second century. 
The earliest of Christians that we have historical evidence of their emblems of faith, this is the one that is used most predominantly. It's the emblem that embodied everything about the Christian message. You see, the cross talks about victory over sin. We talked about the peacock, right, and eternal life. We talked about the fish, our mission. But they had one other emblem that reminded them that they never, 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 never were without hope. And the emblem of hope these early Christians used that date all the way back to the first century was the anchor. The anchor was the symbol that Christians used most predominantly in the catacombs in the first and second century. And you notice in that, mar in that, in that anchor, they even hid the cross in the anchor. And when Christians would walk by or people would walk by in the catacombs and look at markers such as that one, that would have said to them that we have a hope in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life. And between here and there, we're to be fishers of men. And no matter what you go through, the hope still stands, the anchor holds in Jesus Christ. This is ridiculous. They treat us like varmin. And for what? I don't even believe any longer. But here I am, a Roman, being treated like... How long do we have to just sit here and wait? I've been in management for like eight years now and they're treating me like... Quit whining, Crawford. I may not be in management, but I have more time than anybody in this room. Look, guys, we've all got a lot at stake here. That's enough, Cronus. Remember, my friend, we're no longer Roman or Jew. We're children of God. Craig, I know you're getting ready to retire. Crawford, you got two, no, three kids. I've got two in college. All of us need this job. None of us want to start over. But we can't put our trust in this job or any other. Oh, cut it out with all the freaking Bible talk. I just want to be mad right now. I'd love to punch Edward Sims right in the mouth for dragging our lives out like this. I guess the millions he made weren't enough. Now he's got to cut our jobs too. No! We believed a lie. And where is Jesus now as we, as our families are burnt alive? I just wish you would hurry up. Mr. Moore. Brother Elon, I'm struggling too. Why would God leave us here like this to die? I don't, I don't want to doubt, but... He hasn't forgotten us. I mean, it's not really about these layoffs or anything, but... Are you afraid? I know you have the newborn baby and you're new at the job. Our faith is not of this world. It's not whether we gain fortune or lose everything, even in death. We must stand strong in our faith. Afraid a lot Listen, of us. I, I don't want to cut you off or anything, but uh, ever since these layoffs, there's just been trash talking Mr. Sims, but, but not you. Is it a matter of your faith or? Look, man, I'm as put off and uncertain about what's going to happen as anybody, but a long time ago, Jesus changed my life, and that's given me a peace, a joy, and a hope that some people have a difficult time understanding. I guess we'll see if that hope of yours floats or not. Here comes Sims. I guess we'll soon see how strong you are. The soldiers, 
they come for us. Look, I don't know where your heart is, but no matter what happens here today, I can assure you, if you put your trust in Jesus, nothing this world throws at you is gonna matter. The Bible tells us that we have an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Remember what you were taught. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. No matter what happens today, Amos, do not forsake this hope we have in Christ. When these Christians would go through those catacombs, under great pressure, persecution, slavery, and hardship. And they would see that anchor, it inspired them, and they were reminded of the central truth of everything we hang on to and we believe in as Christians. Today, no matter where you're at and what you're struggling through, this message that those early Christians believed in and passed on to each other is still alive and well today. And we wanna pass it on to our community. And that is, that the anchor encompassed for those early Christians, that they had hope and it was, sa it was sound, it was safe, it was secure, it was steadfast, because like an anchor in the middle of a storm would hold that boat safe. I'm telling you, there is a hope in Jesus Christ that'll hold you no matter what storm comes in your way. It is based in this, that the death of Jesus, Jesus died for us and that was a horrible day of pain. Jesus Christ took our sins to the cross and he forgave us of our sins. But I need you to know that the cross is not the final destination. The day of pain was not the end of the story for Jesus. That was just the instrument by which God would then provide redemption and grace to all who call upon his name. Because what started with a day of death and a day of pain then turned into a day of burial. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. They took him off of that cross and they put him in a, in a grave. And can you imagine those early Christians? Can you imagine the confusion they had when everything they believed in and everything they'd hoped in and everything they put their trust in was placed in a tomb and the stone was rolled over the entrance and then it was sealed and Roman guards stood outside. They would have thought everything was over. A day of confusion. But here's what I need you to understand. What the world didn't know at that moment that we can tell you today is that Jesus who paid for your sin on the cross when he was buried, he buried your sin. And this is the great news of the gospel that no matter what your sin is, if you ask Christ to forgive you, God will forgive you. And he will never bring it up against you again because once it's under the blood, it has been buried in the grave of Jesus. Because what the early Christians didn't know that first weekend, that they would learn the next day on that first uh, day of the week, that Sunday morning, that first resurrection Sunday, what they would learn is, is that on Friday when he was crucified, the day of death, and, and he was buried, and all day Saturday, they were confused as Jesus laid in that tomb. But then came Sunday morning, the morning of resurrection, when Jesus came up out of that grave and he gave birth to the day of hope. And Jesus came out of that grave. Now the world has one message, that if Jesus Christ came out of that grave, your sins can be forgiven. And they can be cast as far as the east is from the west. And you can have a new start. You can have a new beginning. All things become new. Now watch this. That means no storm in your life is greater than a resurrected Jesus. No struggle is greater than a resurrected Jesus. No pain 
is greater than a resurrected Jesus. You have a God you can pray to and count on and trust in even when death comes. The grave no longer has the last word because the grave could not hold Jesus down. We have eyewitness accounts of that first morning. It's found in the letter written by Matthew. And Matthew wrote of how two of the women who followed Jesus went to the tomb that first morning, that that Sunday morning. And when they went there, they fully expected to find a dead man still dead. They had carried with them the ointments, the burial ointments with them. They fully expected Jesus to still be in his tomb. But when they arrived, the letter says that the stone had already been rolled away and two men in white clothing were standing there and said, I know who you're looking for. You seek Jesus. He's not here. He has risen as he said. Those women were the first preachers of the resurrection of Jesus. John and Peter ran to the tomb and saw it just like the women said. Later that day, Jesus walked through a door without opening it and appeared to his disciples. And he showed them that he was alive. And I want you to see what Paul wrote to these Corinthians Uh, These early believers in the book of Corinthians, look with me on your message notes at 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you. Now underline this, that Christ died for our sins. Somebody in the house shout, yes, he did. And that he was buried. Somebody shout, yes, he was. And watch this. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared to Cephas, and he appeared to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses. Brothers and sisters, at the same time, Jesus who died was the same Jesus who was buried as the same Jesus who came up out of that grave. And because Jesus came out of that grave, I'm here to tell you there's nothing you'll ever face greater than Jesus. And so the Bible says, If Christ had not been raised, your faith would be futile. You'd still be in your sins. Those who had fallen asleep in Christ, the dead, would would be lost. If only in this life we have hope in the cross of Christ, or in Christ we're a people to most to be pitied. Because if Jesus didn't come out of that grave, you have no reason to trust in Christ because he can't forgive your sins. He's dead. He may have died, but he was just another martyr, just another person executed. If he's buried in a tomb somewhere, what good is that to any of us? But folks, I want to tell you, if Jesus came up out of that grave and more than 500 eyewitnesses declared he did, and millions upon multiplied millions of people will gather in buildings like this on this Sunday and declare he did. If Jesus Christ came up out of that grave, listen to me, nothing but that really matters. And that's why these early Christians, these Hebrews could say, we have a hope that is an anchor for our soul, sure and steadfast. No matter what you face, no matter what you go through in life, there's an anchor that you can hang on to. It's our big takeaway we want you to take with you today. I want you to write this down. Hope lives and his name is Jesus. If you believe that, say that out loud with me. Ready, go. Hope lives and his name is Jesus. I want everyone watching online to say it with our congregation. Ready? Here we go. Hope lives and his name is Jesus. And if you believe that today, I dare you to stand up and give him five seconds of praise. 
like you know he came up out of that grave. Praise like you know hope is alive today. And no matter what you're facing, if you'll call on Jesus, there's hope for it. No problem's bigger than Jesus. No sickness is bigger than Jesus. No struggle is bigger than Jesus. No strain is greater than Jesus. Death isn't even greater than Jesus. You put your faith in Him. He'll save you. He'll stay with you through any storm you face here. And one day He'll take you home and spend eternity with Him. Do you believe that today? I believe it with all my heart. Thank you for joining us today for the Pursuit Podcast. For more content, to read our blog, watch past sermons, or find other great resources, check us out at chrisvaught.net, and then check us out on social media. Then tune in again next week, and we will open our Bibles and together pursue after the heart of God. Thank you again for joining us at The Pursuit.